Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're excited to be joined this week and for the remainder of the season by FBS defensive coordinator DJ Elliott. We're going to talk about a lot of different aspects of defense, focusing on some games each week. And this particular week, we're going to take a look at Georgia's defense. They played Arkansas, shut them out 37 to nothing, and then Alabama. And looking at what Alabama's done against a, a very powerful Ole Miss team holding them to 21 points, which not many people have done. But with both of them really focusing on how defenses evolve. So, DJ, I'm excited to have you here. It's it's great for you to join us this year, and I'm excited to get into some of these defensive topics. Thanks, Keith. I'm glad to be with you. I'm looking forward to talking about not only this week, but the future weeks. Well, Coach, before we got going, we, we were talking a little bit about what you've seen in, in the evolution of these two defenses, and that's part of the game I really love. And when you look at any kind of system, offense, defense, special teams, it comes to a certain program or, or team, and other people get involved and kind of put their touch on it, and you get different personnel, and it evolves. And what might have started as a pretty close 100% adaptation of one thing evolves into something that is uniquely your own and I see that happen across football and what we're starting to see here as Georgia and Alabama's defenses start to look a little bit different than what they have in the past you're exactly right first of all these two defenses are playing dominant they are well coached but let's put a disclaimer out there they have great players too Mm -hmm. so let's just go ahead and put that out there as a disclaimer how good the players are within this system but they're they're also on top of that executing and playing well within their scheme. I spoke at the Nike Clinic in Portland one year when I was an assistant coach at Florida State, and I was going to talk about our scheme at Florida State. And I got up there in front of thousands of coaches, and and I had to put that disclaimer out there first. I said, listen, before I start talking scheme about how good we are schematically at Florida State, I want to point out that these players are really, really good players. So just to to put that disclaimer out there first, about Georgia and Alabama. But what I like from what I've seen from Georgia is they've evolved. They've evolved from not just the Nick Saban tree, but they've added the Dave Aranda and Vic Fangio tree. So I see a combination of Nick Saban's Ripley's match, over seven bracket, uh, over many cloud, but with the addition of type four, couple of tight eight-man drops, 
simulated pressures, and then with those three, four schemes that they've added, multiple D-line stems. And, and that, that gave Arkansas a lot of problems. You know, defensive line stems on defense are our equivalents of going on two. Yes. So when an offense wants to gain five and they want to take advantage of the defense that's on edge, that's ready to fire off the ball, they go on two. When a defense wants to gain five and they want to take advantage of an offense that's ready to fire off the ball, they stem. And that's how we get an extra five yards using that anticipation against you on offense. You'll see a lot of defensive line stems in short yarded situations, especially fourth and short, because that can put you into a fourth and medium situation, and now the offense won't go for it. You'll see it to start series, too, to put you behind the chain so that you can get into first and 15 instead of a first and 10 situation. And Georgia took advantage of their anxiety of coming into that crowd and playing against such good players by stemming a bunch and getting them to jump off sides. Mm -hmm. That also, as you know, as an offensive guy, that also can screw up your blocking schemes and your protections. You may set it for a three-man front, and then in the last minute it stems to a four-man front or vice versa, okay? And, and it gives the defense a chance to confuse the offense and possibly cut somebody loose so that they can make a play. And I think that is a great addition to Georgia's defense that they, they've added. You don't see that a lot in Alabama's defense, and you didn't see that a lot in the past in Alabama's defense. But you do see a lot of defensive line stems and defenses that are from the branch of Dave Aranda slash Vic Fangio. When I say Dave Aranda, Vic Fangio – Dave Aranda is really the three, four guy in college football that so many coordinators have modeled themselves after. Mm -hmm. Dave got a lot of his scheme ideas from Vic Fangio. So that's why I say both of them. Vic Fangio, the difference is everything is pro-based. So he has to do everything based off of formation and Dave Aranda his defense is college-based with the wider hashes. So a lot of what he does is based off of field and boundary. But their defenses are very similar. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say both of those guys. So in this game, Georgia versus Arkansas, I saw over Rip Liz match, which is a Nick Saban scheme, on the first two snaps of the game. So he came out, he stemmed into it from a three-man front, then he got into over Liz with match, on the first two snaps of the game. So basically he played his base defense on the first two snaps of the game, which is good to do as a defensive coordinator sometimes just to calm your players down, give them something that they know how to execute and to kind of see what the offense is going to do. Don't bust an assignment early and get discouraged. And that's what he did. Now his simulated pressures, okay, Dan Lanning simulated pressures in the Georgia game, I thought were really, really good. And one of them that I saw that is very effective is a middle simulated pressure. Okay. Now, for the other users that don't know, a simulated pressure is the illusion that a defense is blitzing, but there's only four guys coming. So the benefit of that is in protections, the offense will look at it as a blitz and keep the back end. Okay, or 
allow us to have one-on-ones that we wouldn't have had in a four-man rush. But yet the defense still has seven in coverage to defend quick games, screens, certain runs that are hard to defend versus blitzing. And Georgia was running a middle creeper, okay? So I call my simulated pressures creepers. They were running a middle creeper in which the inside backer was attacking the via the neck of the center. And depending on which direction the center went, the inside backer would go the other direction. So the inside backer was creating the lag nose. The 2D tackles were stunning to become the two four eyes. And then one of the outside linebackers became a drop, but he only became a drop if it was a pass. So to an offense, you may watch video on Georgia and say, man, they were running a lot of five-man pressures, but it looks like a five-man pressure if it was a run. Right, right. You have to recognize that it was only a simulated pressure when it was a pass. And what I like about this is simulated pressures allow you to get in. Not only is it good for the front, because the best run front, in my opinion, is the tight front. The best run front you can be in to stop any run is the tight front, okay? And that's a zero and two four eyes, in my opinion, okay? But simulated pressures create the tight front from an over front. So it allows you to get into a tight front with this simulated pressure for run defense purposes. But the other thing that I like about simulated pressures is you're able to give the quarterback one coverage but actually play a different coverage without rotating your safeties. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everything from the quarterback's read is based off a safety rotation. Yes. And where he's going to go with the football is based off a safety rotation. It's funny to me when I talk to a, a coach that's trying to become a coordinator, but he's only got a front background and he says, well, we're going to give him all these different fronts to try to confuse the quarterback. And I say to him, well, you're not really going to confuse the quarterback by giving him a bunch of different fronts. Because the really the only thing he cares about is where your weak safety is. Is your weak safety staying and playing halves? Is your weak safety coming to the middle of the field and playing a single high? Is your weak safety playing the quarter? Is your weak safety dropping down? And then your strong safety is going to the field to create some type of single high? And so the only thing that really is he's concerned about in his pre-snap key is where is the safety. And as defensive coaches, we always try to disguise our shell, whether we're a single high or two high. But what I like about the simulated pressures is you don't have to bring a safety down to create a single high. Right. Okay. And you don't have to push a safety back to create a two high. And the reason that is, is that the fourth dropper is the defensive end. So if I am going to run a creeper and I want to, and this is what I saw from Georgia. Okay. They were running creepers and playing a three match, but they were also running creepers and playing a quarter quarter halves. And in both of them, I noticed a middle creeper, which means an inside backer was the one blitzing. Now, to get to the halves concept, you have to drop an outside backer to become a quarter flat defender. And that's what they were doing. Okay. They were dropping an outside backer to become a four, quarter flat defender. To get to a match three concept, they were dropping a safety into 
the middle of the box to replace a linebacker to create a match three concept. So simulated pressures are good because it doesn't necessarily have to do with safety rotation as much as it has to do with adding that outside backer to the drop. I want to ask you a few things about Georgia before we move on. And going back to, first of all, 100% agree that when we're trying to break down coverages and give the quarterback keys, we usually find it with that weak safety. So now when you start to take that away from him and he can't count on that being there all the time, he starts to guess a little bit, right? He, he doesn't know what he's seeing or he thinks he's seeing one thing and, and it might be another. So I think that's definitely part of the effectiveness of, of Sims and Creepers. And I have a question about that, but I want to go back to the stems first. And I agree with you 100%. And I've never thought of it that way, but you're right. It is the defensive version of going on too. And I know uh, it's, it's something I talked about earlier in, in the week as an adjustment, right? I know a lot of teams like to do it against certain types of offenses. A, a team's facing a flex bone team. I mean, those guys are coming to the line and trying to read everything. So to stem on them and move on them at a certain point after they get their call in is going to be very effective. But I think with, with anything, any component of any offense or defense, you have to have some type of system or mini system for it to make it work. There has to be the communication, of course, and the structure, but then also the philosophy and, and strategy behind it on when you're going to use it, who is it most effective against. So I wanted to pause there and just get your thoughts on that part of it too, understanding a little bit more about how you, I guess, install what would be a, a mini system here with the different stems you can do and then look at it from a strategy standpoint of who it works best against? Well, the way that I installed stems was, first of all, from a 3-4 base. I was running a 3-4 with nickel four-man front defenses as well, and we were getting in and out of four-man fronts and three-man fronts. So the way that I install it is from a 3-4 base. Now, you think of it this way. In a 3-4 base, you have a nose and two defensive ends. And as soon as that nose shades either direction, you've now created uh, and you move a defensive end down and you move a defensive end out. So you move a defensive end to a three technique and then you move a defensive end out to a five technique. Okay, You've now created an over or an under front depending on, on where the tight end is. Okay. And depending on which direction they go, it's going to be over and under. So when we install stems, we start in the tight front and we just stem one direction or the other to create an over or under front. Now, what I like to do is I put the movement on the nose guard. The movement call is not made by the linebacker. The movement call is made by the nose guard. All right. Now, what's good about that is think about how much individual time the defensive line has compared to the linebacker, the linebacker. And think about how much less assignment or checks a defense lineman has to have compared to the linebacker. Right. Now, there's a reason for that. Right. You don't want your D line having to make too many checks because don't forget every snap. There's six hundred. There's six inches from a 300 pounder that's trying to beat them. So you don't want them to have too many checks but this is one that i think they can execute that they can practice on their own and they don't even need the linebacker so they work on this on their own now he makes the call and off of his call the d line makes the movement in conjunction with each other 
Mm-hmm. So it's a movement where they all move together. All right. Now I know defensive coordinators that this has gotten so elaborate within their system that they don't even have to signal in the move call that the nose guard has a handful of fronts that he can show the offense and it's a two call system and that he tells the defensive line what front to show and what front they're going to off of his move call. And so it can get really elaborate and really confusing to the offense. But I like to put it in the hands of the nose guard because of so much that the linebacker has on his plate and the ability for the defensive line to practice these stems without including the move call from the backer. Yeah, that makes sense. I think anytime you can you can start to create a, a system for that, put that in the hands of the players. And again, it can't all be on one player, but give them the educated freedom to do some things, right? They have to obviously understand it, understand the why behind it. But when they can do those things, it it allows your defense to take on a complexity that you as the the play caller, as as the, the caller for the defense, you don't have to always put into your th- thought process too. They're going to handle it for you. I mean, I did it. I would do it on offense. I liked shifting and motioning and doing all those kinds of things. But all I had to do is if I wanted to shift on is just call something and didn't have to worry about what we were getting into and, and going to. They just knew what we wanted to end up in. And, and those guys would handle it. And they were a lot more creative with it than I would be and probably caused a lot more note taking and and uh, analysis than if I was the one handling it all the time. So I, I love that kind of idea. And that is the same philosophy on defense. That's the exact same philosophy on defense is that we want to do the same kind of things that you're doing to us. Mm-hmm. For example, you want to run a few plays and be really good at them, really good at them, yep. but be able to run them out of multiple formations, shifts, and motions to make it complicated for us. Exactly. So you may only be running a handful of plays, but as a defense, there are multiple plays to us because we had to line up and adjust our alignments and adjust our checks in multiple different ways. And that's the same philosophy on defense. We may only have a few fronts or a few pressures, but we're going to give you multiple stems and multiple looks so that you assume that there's something different than what they really are. Mm-hmm. And those, those, that philosophy of offense, that applies to a defensive coach as well. Yes. With that, in, in looking at what things might hurt it, teams that are fast tempo or jump into tempo, uh, how do you handle those situations? Is it something that will take you out of it or – is there an approach to it that you're still able to do it against those kinds of operations? Well, the general rule is if we were stemming and we get a fast tempo play and we weren't allowed to get to that stem, then it automatically turns to a slant. So if I'm a defensive lineman, we make a stem call and they snap it before we stem, then we slam. Yeah, okay. And so yeah, now it just turns into a movement. So that's the general rule. If, hey, if we have a stem call and they snap it before we stem, just slant to where you were going. So that stem just turns into a slant. Now, 
with tempo, the thing that becomes difficult for a defense is how many things are you trying to communicate to your defense before the ball is snapped? And if you had to communicate to your defense before the ball snapped that you wanted a particular stem, then that took time and maybe you didn't get the other stuff in that you wanted to call on defense uh, and somebody else screwed something else up because they didn't get the coverage fast enough or the pressure fast enough. So that's where it can become a problem on on Mm -hmm. defense with the tempo, not necessarily that the D line got caught in a stem more that something else was screwed up because I wanted to call a stem on top of that defense. So then what may happen to that coordinator is he may call less stems so that he can get the more pertinent information that he wants to get signal in his defense out there. Mm -hmm. And so you can, you can control some D line stems with tempo for that reason. Not that I think it's going to mess the D line up because they'll just slant to where they're supposed to go, but it will mess the whole call that was coming in. Right. Right. The other question I had was about the Sims and, and Creepers, and I know you know coaches like to look for simple answers. What can we do that's the simplest thing to to handle those types of things? So teams that might be a, a man sl- sl- side and a slide side, you know, one of the answers is just to full slide it. That they feel, you know, that's an easy thing to do against the Sims and Creepers. But obviously, you guys are aware of things that would be done. What what things have you seen? that are, are the toughest for you, right, as, as answers to be able to pick that up. And I'm specifically talking, you know, pass protection here because obviously, like you said, it looks like you're in a, a five-man pressure in the run game. So with the pass game. Well, one of the main objectives from running a simulated pressure is to get the back to stay in. Mm-hmm. And the rule when you run a simulated pressure is, listen, we only have a four-man rush. We're really not anticipating anybody to come completely free. But what we are anticipating is to have a four-man rush with seven in coverage. So we're taking away side adjustments and hot throws. Right. And that the running back is blocking somebody one-on-one. And so anytime that happens, we count that as a win on the defense. If you have your back blocking a D lineman or a linebacker in protection – one-on-one, we count that win defense, okay? That's not what he's paid to do, right? And especially if you've taken away um, side adjusts and hot throws and quick game from the quarterback, right? So the rule on defense is whoever gets the back must win. So whoever the back blocks in a simulated pressure must win. You cannot lose to a running back. So one way on offense that you can help yourself is to try to figure out where that pressure is coming from and to try to get the slide to the pressure. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now at least you're guaranteeing that your back can free release and that you're getting offense alignment, blocking defense alignment and linebackers. Now, you're still not going to get as good a protection as you would have liked in a straight four-man rush. And the reason that is, is when the D tackle to the side of the slide crosses the center, 
the center goes with it. So we're still getting the one-on-ones that we want by rushing four. We're just not getting them with the personnel that we want. So if you think about it, if I'm to bring a, an edge simulated pressure into a slide and my defensive tackle on that side crosses into the man side, well, the center's going to go with him. Now I've got two one-on-ones to the slide side. Yep. And so that's what's beneficial about a simulated pressure. But what I would say on offense, it still has you, if you can get the slide into the pressure, it still has you having the right personnel protecting the defensive players that you want to protect. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't want my running back blocking a defensive end, right? We, we, that's not, not the preference we want. We'd rather have him on some kind of safety blitz or a linebacker, but not that guy, right? Usually that's a, a bad mismatch. So agree with you on that. And one thing I will say, if he is on a safety blitz and, um, or a linebacker and it's, and it's not a simulated pressure, he doesn't have to block for very long because there's less people in coverage. Right. And, and the quarterback's going to get the ball out. Yep. Coach, moving on to Alabama and what you've seen from them this year, obviously dominant as usual, sitting at the top of the rankings there. The two teams you mentioned, right, they've kind of been the consistent piece in the rankings each week. We've seen it be pretty volatile. There's ups and downs and uh, new people in and people out. So we have seen Alabama, though, uh, being Alabama. And you've seen some changes, though. I do. Again, with both of these defenses, what I see is an involvement to add schemes from the 3-4 Vic Fangio, Dave Randy tree. And those schemes, I think, are being effective for both of these defenses. I noticed in the Alabama game, they ran a nickel creeper from the field okay, multiple times in the game and went to a match three coverage with it and had a lot of success with it. And one particular play that I remember that they had success on it was on an RPO. When you run a field off the edge or not even a field, if you just run an edge creeper, okay, what is going to happen is not only is that defensive end, okay, going to be um, unblocked because of the down block, of the tackle. And this is into an RPO is what I'm talking about. So the zone scheme or a gap scheme away mm-hmm. and the quarterback has the back on his side and is, uh, is reading for his run pass option. Not only are you going to get that, that end claim to go tight down the line and to tackle the dive, but you're also going to get an edge blitzer right into the quarterback's face. Okay. And he's either going to get hit after he throws it, or he's going to have that, that edge rusher be a deterrent for him making the pass. Now, if this was a five-man pressure, what the quarterback would have is he would have space to throw his RPO. He'd have space to throw his clamp, space to throw his slant, or any, uh, if it was inside leverage, maybe space uh, to throw his speed out. But because it was a simulated pressure, remember, there's still seven guys in coverage. And he didn't have the space that he wanted for that RPO, but yet he still had somebody right in his face. When you do this, if you're running a match three concept, one thing is critical is the back to the side of the back. Okay. 
and the split between the back and the wide out on the RPO. And if that is a wide split, you need to defend inside out first to defend the glance. And Alabama did that. Alabama did that in particular with this particular simulated pressure. And I was impressed. Now, Alabama runs more five-man and fi- whether it's man-free or fire zone pressures mm-hmm. than, than Georgia does. And so they continued to run those pressures as well. But they did have a few simulated pressures, and they had success with two off an edge to the side of the back to beat an RPO. And when you're looking, too, at what Ole Miss has done, I mean, that is a very potent offense. And, uh, you know, they were sitting atop of the, the rankings. I think it was in, in total offense and scoring. Um, obviously, have been knocked down a little bit here after this game. But they still put up 20-21, right? So be able to take away those things, though, that are giving you those chunks of yardage, right? Defending that glance. Uh, and, and you look at what people want to try to do in RPO. I mean, you know, it, it goes back to, uh, you know, some of those teams that you watch and, yeah, they're going to run the run-pass option, but everything is still very short. And so, uh, for the most part, you, you see them being a team that takes a while to score. No different than the team who, you know, was getting three and a half yards in a cloud of dust. Uh, it's the same type of thing. So, you if you can keep things in front of you, the, the percentages start to become in your favor. It's hard to sustain those long drives. Things are going to happen. There's going to be a miscue. There's going to be a drop pass. There's going to be a batted ball. And with all those things, if you could start to limit the chunks, it's, it's decreasing their chances. Nolan and I talk about that all the time, right? This one big play in a drive significantly increases the chances of scoring in that drive. One thing I would say along those lines is as a defensive coordinator against an RPO team, especially the glance, I look at that like there's a lot of bad things could happen to you on offense to get four yards. That ball could be tipped, intercepted um, at the line. That ball could get picked by the right leverage on the DB. There's a lot of bad things that could happen to just get four or five yards. Mm -hmm. And so the thing about up-tempo offenses is with their ability to score points, usually there's more turnovers and there's more uh, possessions and plays for the opposing offense as well. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's an example of your style of offense determines how you've decided you want to win games. If you want to be an up-tempo offense and you want to run a bunch of plays, you're probably going to turn the ball over a lot, and, and you're also going to give the other team more plays. Then you decided we want to outscore people. That's how we want to win games. Right. And. If you're and so don't be mad at your defense when they give up 28 points. If that's a style of offense that you as a head coach has decided to run, and the flip side of that is if you're going to huddle and you're going to run the ball and you're going to control the clock, don't get mad at your offense when they only score 21. Mm-hmm. Now is a time that you want to look at your defense. Hey, why did you give up 28? You know we're controlling the clock. We're not turning it over. You know you should be able to hold them less. And what I saw in the Ole Miss-Alabama game that I don't know that offensive coaches look at it this way, but defensive coaches do, is every fourth down stop on our stat goes down as a turnover. Yes. So if you go for it on fourth down and you don't get it, 
then we mark it on our stat sheet as a turnover. And the reason is because the field flipped right from the spot. And what that means is when you go for on fourth down, either you've put our offense in a scoring position or you were already in a scoring position, but instead of kicking the field goal, you decided to go for it and we stopped you. So we stopped you from scoring points right? because you didn't get three. You got it right there. So we either put our offense in a scoring position or we prevented you from scoring points. And in this Ole Miss Alabama game, when you add in the fourth down stops, there were a lot of turnovers in this game, a lot of turnovers in this game. Well, I think you hit on something important there in, in that you want to play complementary football. Uh, you do, in some ways, have to get on the same page with the philosophy of both of those coordinators so you know what it's going to require to win a football game, right? I mean, if, if it is going to be that fast pace that's going to give them more possessions, more, more opportunities, right? You, you need to understand that and build things that way as well. So I, when I look at, you know, as you'll see it, right, you get down to the end of the season, you get into playoffs, and this is really at any any level you know they may not have the the gaudiest stats as the number one offense or defense but when you look at it they just win ball games because they're on the same page and the head coach obviously is the connector there right he has to be that guy that's making sure in all phases of the game offense defense special teams that it's complementary to what we're trying to do that leaves it open for a wide range of things right but being on the same page is the most important. And that's what I thought Alabama did a magnificent job of in this game. If you notice, their offense was controlling the ball. They were, not, they were huddling. They were not snapping the ball until the play clock was low. And they were preventing Ole Miss from being on the field. In the first half, Ole Miss only had five possessions in the first half. And I don't know how many of those ended on a fourth down stop, Mm -hmm. which is equivalent to a turnover. So their game plan, offense and defense game plan in the Alabama game versus Ole Miss meshed really good. I agree with you, Coach. Well, it was was great to be able to look at these games with you and and just get into some of the ideas and strategies behind it as well and and learn uh, some of the things you believe and, and do. And I look forward to doing this again next week. Same here. I really enjoyed it, Keith. Thank you very much. It was definitely great to get some defensive perspective here and hear about some of the things that Coach thinks about and the way that they think about it on defense. And I think for both sides of the ball here, there were a ton of takeaways, whether you are an offensive coach or defensive coach. So hopefully you had something you picked up from this one and gave you some ideas here to help you throughout the rest of the season. I want to make a, a note, Coach Mazzoni is still with us. We had some problems. He's still in Germany for the All-Star game that he coached out there, and we were having some bad connections in a couple times that we tried to get recorded. So that will either be back next week or hopefully later this week. But we'll continue with Coach Elliott as well. So on Mondays, you'll have our adjustments. On Tuesdays, we'll be joined by Coach Mazzoni. And on Wednesdays, it'll be Coach DJ Elliott, and we'll talk about the defensive side of the ball. So follow all we're doing this season at coachingcoordinator.com and follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski. 